Welcome, Morks, to Conspiracies and Beyond. I'm Jedi. And I'm Todd. Doing our very first podcast. So what is this podcast all about? Well, conspiracies, conspiracies, and more conspiracies. Everyone likes a good one, right? Plus, they're fun to talk about. We will be talking about everything under the sun, from sports stories, aliens, the ever-elusive Yeti, the kooky and the spooky, unicorns, and all things beyond. All right. Thanks for joining us at Two Conspiracies and Beyond. You can check us out on Clovercrest Media and all platforms of social media under Conspiracies and Beyond. How are you doing here, Jedi? I'm great. How are you? Good. We have an awesome guest from Australia, Dr. Lisa. And... Hello, hello. <laughs> yeah. G'day, uh... I should say. G'day. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is a really cool story and a really cool guest. Let's. You want to do a quick news segment before we get into this? To Conspiracies and Beyond. On weird news for today, or should I say odd news, a runaway emu was running loose where? Guess, in British Columbia. Yeah. Mind you, this is a flightless bird. He was caught visiting the airport. <laughs> of all things, you know? <laughs> well, maybe maybe it wanted to come home. <laughs> maybe, right? <laughs> but I, I, I don't get why no one could catch this bird. Originally, they did catch him or her or, or whatever. <laughs> they, caught, they caught them by using a horse trailer and then they placed the bird in a horse corral, which it managed to escape. But mind you, emus could be more than five foot tall and weigh over a hundred pounds so i mean yeah they're, they're basically just a little bit smaller than uh, an ostrich and they can be fairly aggressive as well like they've got this really long neck and this rather hilarious looking face and but th when that thing comes launching at you it's yeah. pretty scary you know you wouldn't want that coming at you I mean, they don't have teeth but they're, they're a big I, bird you know I, yeah I, and so the airport didn't work guess where the he, he was last seen at the train station so i don't know <laughs> I, I, definitely wants I've, to come home <laughs> i've seen emu races where like there's big adult men on the backs of them as they're racing so they're pretty strong yeah yeah they're pretty big birds <laughs> <laughs> and and leave it to Dr. Lisa to actually know something about emus. <laughs> well, but it's because I've lived in Australia for 22 years and we have flocks of them running around the outback, you know. Uh, so, so hang on, is it still called a flock if they don't fly? Like, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it, like, what would it be? Like a swarm or like an attack or like I don't know, a murder of crows? Like, what would be yeah. the right collective for a I flightless no bird? <laughs> I don't know yeah, either. <laughs> But, but I have seen them, like as you drive through the outback, you see these like, well, flocks or whatever they're called, you know, you see these and there, there'd be like a dozen of them just running along at full speed. And you're like, that is so weird. It's really prehistoric looking. And I mean, yeah. it just throws you, you're like, whoa, okay, <laughs> cool. You know, and then you're like, uh oh, that would be bad if I ran into them, you know? Yeah, but the, it's so weird because my thing is, is how did he know how to get to the airport? And then how did he know how to get to the train station? Right. <laughs> what's, what's next? Yeah. Kind of defies the idea of bird brain. Like this guy's really got something going on there, you know? Exactly. Yeah. 
Jedi, is that like a recent thing that was within yeah, the last couple days? Yeah, I saw this yesterday on the. Oh, on, right. Yeah, so it was. It's just an odd thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, strangely enough, that doesn't like I haven't seen that here in Australia in the news <laughs> here, but that should be Australian news because it's an Australian bird, you know. But <laughs> I haven't seen it here. I mean, not that I have my head across all news, of course, but but that should be big news here, you know. I, I mean, seriously, like an emu wants to come home. That should right. be big. Maybe that's right. it. <laughs> that's cool. All right. So I got one, too. That's kind of a little bit weird. I think we underestimate in life how important a parking spot is. When you, you kind of... Uh, you don't even think about it. You just kind of take it for granted. But like when you really think about it, if you want to go into Boston, for example, I don't know, what is parking like where you guys live? Is it a nightmare or not that bad? It's okay. It's not that bad. <laughs> I've got it too easy. So I live in Tasmania, which is an island state off the southeast coast of Australia. And it's really unpopulated and it's really beautiful. And, you know, parking is really easy. I mean, even traffic, like people get really cranky here when you've got 10 minutes of traffic so you know oh yeah <laughs> so i i, I kind of can't complain <laughs> my family and i just went out for my sister's birthday and we were going into the north end of boston which is very crowded and instead of paying for parking we decided to hire a car it was about 350 dollars to have someone drive what? us that's how that, it was like $60 a person, and we all agreed to it right away. We're like, yeah, we're not going to drive around looking for a spot. This was this was a couple of weeks ago, right when COVID was kind of not ending here, but it was one of the first days where it was kind of maskless and everyone was all excited to be out. So parking is that much of an issue where I live that you will you could pay someone that much money and be completely fine with it. That so is my, insane. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so my lead into this story is I remember about 10 years ago, in downtown Boston when people were talking about paying $70,000, $80,000 for their own parking spot. People have mortgages on a parking spot. And the most expensive parking spot just went in Hong Kong for $1.3 million. What? Yes. Oh, my yeah. God. That's, that's <laughs> like way more than the cost of a house. Right. That's insane. $10,000 $10, <laughs> per square foot. For this parking spot. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm, I just can't believe it. Like that is insane. That I know. that is multiply more than the cost of my house. Like that is oh, insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just for the convenience of being able to leave your car. And it just reminded me, uh, in South Boston, I grew up about 10 miles from South Boston. And in South Boston, the biggest thing is shoveling out a parking spot. If you shovel out your own spot and you go to Dunkin' Donuts and you come back and someone took your spot, like there's going to be a fight. And I got some pictures here. <laughs> if you shovel out your own spot, this is some of the stuff people oh, put in the spot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Iron board. <laughs> Oh, this is all. hilarious to like so, stake out your spot. Oh my God. Yeah. So they kept changing the rules. Like when it came to trash day, they would throw all that stuff, like the lawn chairs and everything. You see a toilet here. <laughs> well, and the funny thing in here spot. in this shot is that there's actually the other spot next to it is also staked out. So, right, exactly. <laughs> so they would rather have 
nothing in the spots and for someone to take your spot. So the latest I found out on this was you can do that for 48 hours. After 48 hours, the town can take the lawn chair or whatever away. And I used to think it was ridiculous, <laughs> but it, it kind of makes sense. If you're going to slave over shoveling for an hour, I mean, it would kind of make you mad if you left and someone just took the spot. I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing in uh, South Boston. <laughs> It's so crazy. I love it. I know. So $1.3 million for a spot. So, um, all right, let's get into this story, Jedi. The Conspiracies and Beyond. All right, we have Dr. Lisa Ann Gershwin here to talk to us about this crazy story. Lisa, do you want to tell us who you are? Yeah, so I am Dr. Lisa Ann Gershwin. I am a research scientist living and working in Tasmania in Australia, and my expertise is in jellyfish. It's kind of a boutique subject, I'd have to say. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of, uh, yeah, one of those, you know, very fringe sort of expertises, like, you know, uh, kind of in the same vein as people who say, huh? Hi, I'm the world expert on barbed wire or something, you know, <laughs> about as useful. <laughs> well, it's but, funny. Um, yeah. I do love them. I do. So hmm. anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to run over you there. No, no I'm glad you're cool. here. Thank I know. you. Only a small part of the story has to do with jellyfish, but we figured it would be like having Babe Ruth on and not mentioning baseball. So we want to learn a little bit about jellyfish <laughs> while we have you on. Exactly. And debunk this conspiracy once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> How did you end up in Tasmania? Because you're from the States, right? Yeah, yeah. Born and raised in California. Um, you know, born in Palm Springs, raised in a little town outside of LA called Valley of Enchantment. Yes, it's true. I was raised in Valley of Enchantment. It was very enchanting. Um, you know, uh, my parents were uh, hippies, you know. Um, I What can I say? It was a great way to grow up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I um, accidentally wandered into the Cabrillo Marine Aquarium one day in San Pedro in Los Angeles, and there were these jellyfish in this aquarium. And I just went, whoa, how cool. And I've been primed because I actually had decided 20 years earlier on the 21st of January of 1973, I decided to become a marine biologist when I grew up because I was almost nine. And so when I saw these jellyfish, it was kind of a foregone conclusion that I was just going to, you know, fall over instantly in love. And uh, so that was in uh, 22nd of December of 1992, um, coming up to uh, 30 years. Wow. How's that for an epic love affair? You know, still love them just as much as I did that first day. And um, I just started studying them. And I, I am mad keen about jellyfish. Um, some of that might have to do with Asperger's. Uh, I am on the spectrum. And perhaps unsurprisingly, jellyfish are my special interest. So I've really devoted the last, you know, what, 28 and a half, 29 years of my life to um, understanding everything I can about jellyfish. And yeah, here we are. <laughs> So. And I can tell, like, from talking to you earlier and now, you, you're good with dates. So you're also good with numbers. I love numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 
sometimes I'm good with numbers, but I absolutely suck at math. So like I'm good at I'm good at remembering numbers, people's birth dates and dates that things happened and you know the the number of that and the number of that, you know, like I'm I'm good at remembering things numerically, but you know, put something in front of me, like, you know, long division of two easy numbers. And I just go, uh, 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 you know, or even subtraction, like subtraction shouldn't be that hard, you know? And I look at it, uh, 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 you know, (laughs) so, so as you can imagine, um, doing a PhD at Berkeley, totally sucking at math, (laughs) And it's challenges. <laughs> it, it, but it's funny. Yeah, it's funny because I love math. I love any type of long equations. So my daughter's in the first grade and she brought home her math book and she's um people are like ask daddy like he loves math she hands me the she hands me a book i'm like oh my god my whole life has been leading up to this moment where i can show my daughter how, how, how good i am at math and i'm gonna be like teaching her all the stuff in her head and she shows me the new math and i'm looking at it and she can tell i i don't know what i'm doing and she goes never mind i'll ask mom Oh, no. How good is that? Yeah, I'm, I'm completely lost at Common Core. All right, so you said it was 1992? Oh, that was when I went back to the same aquarium that I'd been to oh, as right. a child 20 years earlier. And I went back. Th- so in, in, in 1973, I decided to become a marine biologist. And it was octopus and hermit crabs that caught my attention that day. And then when I went back in 1992, it was actually the jellyfish that caught my attention. And that was the start. You know, it was love at first sight. It really was. And <laughs> yeah, it was just like that, you know, and and it still is. I mean, for me, they are the love of my life. And I am mad keen. I mean, absolutely just smitten with anything having to do with jellyfish. And, you know, just like I remember dates and things like that, I don't know why or how, because I haven't tried to make it happen, but my brain has stored a visual image of every jellyfish species and every character of every jellyfish species, almost like a flashcard. Yeah. And when I see a specimen, like somebody will send me a photo or I'll be, you know, trolling through a sample or, you know, whatever. And, and my mind goes like that, you know, sound effects mine. Right. But, you know, my brain just kind of shuffles really quickly and finds the one that it most clearly matches up with. And then I can see, no, 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 you know, that's too long. Let's look into that. Is that a new species or is that something else? Or, um, you know, that's, you know, backwards or that's shaped a different way or that's lacking that or whatever. And, and I can visually see that immediately. And I've actually had people like, I'll be in the field, you know, looking at, you know, jellyfish, we'll take a sample and a bunch of jellyfish in the sample. And I'll go, Oh my God, this is amazing. I think this is new to science. And they'll go, uh, hold on. You know, why do you think that? And I'll be like, because look, see this right here, it's, it's the wrong shape. It's, it's this, it's that. And they'll go, you can't possibly know that. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) whatever. You know, I'm not going to argue with somebody and, you know, but yeah, it's like, I've got this crazy flashcard system in my head and yet I can't remember my left from my right. I can't remember north, south, east, and west. I can't remember um, doctor's appointments, but I can't get jellyfish out of my head. And I can't remember people. Oh, my God. I'm terrible at people. This is so embarrassing. I've had horrible, horrible 
things happen with not remembering people. Anyway, sorry, got off into a thing there. The, the, the morks at home, Jedi, are like, what's up with the jellyfish? Get to the story. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, but it's only because they don't understand how cool jellyfish are. Yeah. All right. They so are cool. after you, after you went back to see the jellyfish again, this story happened about two years after that. So let's talk about the Oakville Blobs. I've known about oh, this story. For, yes. <laughs> I've known about the story for probably twenty years, and every year or two, I go back and revisit it. And all right. So you grew up in a small town, Lisa. Was it more than six hundred people? Because that's all that live in Oakville. I'm sure it was. Um, it was a small town. It was a little more than that, but not much more. Yeah. Right. So I was like doing a little research. Jedi, your your town has about 20,000 20, people. Square miles? Actually, yeah, you have about 20,000 people, I think. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, it's square miles. Yeah, you have about 20,000 square miles. Joe's town is about 28,000 square miles. Mine's about 40 square miles. And Oakville is 352 acres. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You know a small it's a small town. town when they measure by acres. I was, <laughs> I actually was talking to a few people from the town. I wasn't sure if they were going to talk to me about this. I didn't know if it was taboo. But one of the girls said it's a 30-minute ride to go to Walmart. I, I couldn't live like that. 30 minutes for me it's right five minutes right down the street <laughs> for me for me it's a 14 hour flight I'm just saying. <laughs> you have to be really motivated here to go to walmart <laughs> yeah so you have something similar obviously uh, 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 no, not really. No. Uh, I mean, we have, well, we have Kmart, but I wouldn't say that that's similar. I mean, right. like not even. And our Kmarts here are a much, much scaled down version from America's Kmarts. It, like it, it's similar, but much smaller. But we don't have anything similar to Walmart. No comparison. Oh, wow. So one of the things I like about this story that it's so bizarre, but I like that it happened in 1994 because this is something that you would see like, oh, in the year 1200, this crazy stuff came out of the sky. But this was pretty recent, 27 years ago. So one day, August 7th, 1994, David Lacey, who was a police officer, and this is another way you can find out it's a small town. He was driving around with a civilian friend. I mean, <laughs> who does that? <laughs> You and your friend are, are on patrol together. And it started raining. And the thing that they like to say in all these shows and unsolved mysteries, this gelatinous goo was coming on the windshield. And his windshield wipers were going back and forth. And it was smearing all over the place. So they got out to degoo the window. And actually, a good, a good side note is... August of 1994, they're probably listening to their number one song back then. You want to play a clip of what the number one song was? You say, I only hear what I want to. Do you guys know that song? <laughs> yes, I've heard it before. It's not my Yeah, job. I've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Lisa Loeb, Stay. That was the number one song. And the number one movie was The Mask with Jim Carrey. <laughs> so Dr. I mean, uh, Lacey put on plastic gloves to check the goo when he said it went through his fingers like gelatin. What do you think of that? Uh, look, I, I think it uh, sounds an awful lot like a lot of jellyfish I've studied, you know? <laughs> I mean, they so, tend to be very gooey, actually. Really? Do they, yeah, they really do. in their hands? 
Yeah, some do, many do. Um, you know, I mean, some jellyfish have more substance and they release mucus that's very gooey, but many species of jellyfish are just really gooey. Like if you put them in your hand, like over, you know, across your fingers, they'll just kind of melt down between your fingers. So, uh, you know, so far it's standing very jellyfishy. Okay, that's why we have you here. <laughs> All right, foreshadowing a little bit here. So when the rain stopped, resident Dottie Hearn went outside to touch the rain, thinking it might have been hail. And it's kind of weird that she was outside at three in the morning. <laughs> so she touched it, and David Lacey touched it. And later in the day... Actually, can I just interrupt you? You know what's also weird about this? Not only the three in the morning, but um, like you could picture being woken up by a furious hailstorm, right? Right. But who gets woken up by a furious jelly goo storm? Like, wouldn't it not make the same (laughs) noise? Like it would thud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't like thunk. It would yeah. splat or thud, like it would just kind of go goo. Right. So, so, so far, it's kind of. I'm, I'm thinking. Hmm. Right. Anyway, that's just me. <laughs> right. So, so Dottie touched the goo. David Lacey touched the goo, and Dottie must have went back to bed. And her daughter Sunny came over and found her laying down. She was vomiting. She had very bad vertigo. So she took her to the hospital. And when she was there, she said. I think I'm going to take a little sample of this goo. So she took some goo and I think she stored it in her freezer and then she eventually took it to a lab to get it tested. And uh, what do you think they found in the the goo Jedi? I am not sure. When they tested it. Chemicals? They found white blood cells, which means it belonged (gasps) to something that was living at some point, which kind of kind of strange. Yikes. (laughs) It's creepy, kind of like, ew, like things with white blood cells were falling on people and they were touching it with their hands and exactly they said the whole town got this flu for seven to eight weeks i mean some probably got it for like a few days but they said some people were sick for months which is kind of crazy and the diagnosis they gave dotty was that it was inner ear infection <laughs> which oh, how strange so this is like long covid from goo right exactly yeah. <laughs> Right. And I like I heard, have you guys ever had vertigo? I heard that's brutal. It is brutal. I get it every <laughs> once in a while. And you just oh, you. feel like the room is spinning. You feel nauseous. Uh, you just have to sit down. And it, it, it's it's not a fun thing. Let's oh, just wow. say you, you went on the roller coaster or Ferris wheel a hundred times at 100 miles per hour <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know, and then you got off. That's how vertigo feels sometimes. You know, people pay good money for that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I can, yeah. I can go upside, I can do upside down roller coasters, everything. But if you put me on a tilt a whirl, I'll be in trouble. I don't like the spinning feeling at all. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. Oh, and actually, well, I'm a total kind of wuss. Sorry, a total I, I was wuss? just going to say, uh, yeah, I'm a total wuss compared to both of you because, you know, I I don't like the spinning. I don't like the roller coaster. I, I Now, I, I want my feet planted firmly <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> 
The sickest I've ever been in my life was last year. I was sick for five or six days. I couldn't sleep. I had the chills. Um, I couldn't eat anything. And I went to the doctor like day six and my temperature was 104.2. I'll never forget it because the look on his face. He said, this is a really high temperature for someone in their 40s. They gave me chest x-rays. They kept drawing blood. And they finally found out they were like inspecting me. I had a tick bite. And like, oh my God. The, and I I don't I talked to Jedi about this. Ticks are a major issue where I live. And actually where producer Joe lives, Lyme disease started in Lyme, Connecticut, which is Joe lives kind of near me. I'm in Massachusetts. But ticks are like a never ending thing here. I take my girls to baseball. When they're done playing, we have to do tick checks. We go outside, oh, we wow. have to do tick checks on the dog. So that's that's not a problem for either one of you guys. No, there no. are some we, cases in California, but not really. It, it's it's not that much. Yeah, yeah ticks, we have yeah, ticks here, but uh, no. Sometimes people think we might have Lyme disease here, but there's no evidence of it. You know, I, I mean, the sort of national narrative is um, no, we don't have that yet here, but we should keep an eye on that just in case. Sort of. Yeah. You know, but that sounds horrible. Yeah, luckily I was fine right after, but Lyme disease is something that can stick with you forever if you don't keep an eye on it. All right, so around the same time that the jelly fell from the sky, the Navy was doing test bomb runs in the sea about 50 miles away. So some people say, and by the way, what do you call a group of jellyfish? Is it a swarm? Yeah, I call it a swarm. No, I'm going to smack you if you say that. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, seriously, people say this. It's so funny. Like, I'll be, I don't know, giving a talk or, you know, a bunch of kids or whatever, and I'll call them a swarm. And there's always one little wiseacre in the crowd. They'll raise their hand. They go, it's a smack. And it's like, you know what? It's not a smack if all of the experts who work on them don't call them a smack. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you got to kind of go with what, the experts think, right? So I, of course, can't speak for everybody, but I'm just saying we all call them a swarm or a bloom. Um, yeah. You know, we often call them a bloom. Um, but no, I don't know of any jellyfish experts that call them a smack. This was invented, I think, by some guy writing a book on collective nouns and probably got to the jellyfish and went, I don't know, I've used everything else. I don't know what to call them. You know, they make a smack when they hit the, you know, I, look, I don't know how it came about, but. Ooh, that's another conspiracy. Ah, yeah, there you go. So, yeah. That's funny. So people have a theory, and this is one of the most popular ones. That's why you're here. They think a bomb possibly could have went into a swarm of jellyfish, blown them way up into the sky. They went into the clouds, and then they kind of – because a cloud – you think of a cloud – that it probably weighs like nothing, but it's full of rain and all sorts of stuff. So they think it might have went in the clouds, traveled, <laughs> and then when it rained, rain came out and the jellyfish came out over Oakville. But it did happen six times in three weeks. So I don't know. This seems kind of weird. We'll get into that when we talk about all the conspiracies at the end. But actually, I do know of a little <laughs> tiny jellyfish that can cause problems. You want to tell us about the Irukanji? Yeah, and those are my hands, by the way. That was before I, I had nails. <laughs> explain, explain, explain to the listeners, uh, the Morks, what we're looking at, how small this is. 
Yeah, yeah. So there's this type of jellyfish called an irukandji, and irukandji actually refers to the syndrome that it gives, this illness. So, and, and there's numerous species. I think we're up to about 16 species of irukandji so far, and still going. I've got two more that aren't yet named and classified. And so I've actually named and classified 14 of those 16 that are currently known. Wow. And so this illness that they give called Irukandji syndrome is really bad. Seriously, you would not want this. It, you know, the sting itself is really mild. Like the part on the skin is usually quite mild. Uh, many, many people don't even feel it at all. Uh, you know, no mark or very mild mark. Um, and then about, well, five minutes for some species, 20 minutes for other species, you start getting really, really sick. And, you know, it starts out with really severe lower back pain. People describe it as feeling like an electric drill is drilling into the back or like being hit in the kidneys with a baseball bat again and again and again. Like it's really incredibly painful, this lower back pain. And so you got that going and you're kind of going, what the hell, you know? And then within another maybe minute or two, you start getting really severe nausea and vomiting. It's common for people to puke every you know minute to two minutes for like 12 to 24 hours um so you know you got the back pain going you got the nausea and vomiting going and then the syndrome itself really hits you and mm -hmm. you get difficulty breathing profuse drenching sweating um you know full body cramps and spasms uh you know all the stuff going on and you also get a feeling of impending doom that isn't just because all this stuff is happening to you but it's actually a psychotic effect of the syndrome itself and and, um, is there an antidote? There is. There is. It's really strange. It was found quite by accident. Um, it turns out that intravenous magnesium, which you need to be in a hospital uh, setting to do, you can't just do it to yourself. Um, and I, I don't mean you can't do the injection. I mean, you can't monitor to make sure that it's the right amount so you don't kill yourself, you know, because uh, lowering the heart rate and lowering the blood pressure can be just as dangerous as having high blood pressure. Oh, I forgot to mention, it gives you hypertension up in the realm of like 280 over 180, kind of, you know, like we're talking brain hemorrhage. Wow. level oh problems and yeah it, it's really quite nasty and um, most people don't die from it but we do get a fair few um life support cases where without care you can imagine they might die um but you know it's weird this is amazing um the mechanism of death from Arakanji syndrome is uh, a heart attack or a stroke or drowning so if someone were to die from it you wouldn't know it because there's no mark. There's nothing in the blood to test oh. for. They would die of a stroke or a heart attack or drowning. And, you know, people would be like, oh, look, it's really sad that Joe's gone, but at least he died doing what he loves, you know, scuba diving or yachting or, you know, whatever, surfing, you know, whatever. And meanwhile, you know, <laughs> poor, poor person, you know, people had wow. no idea what they went through. But, um, yeah, so it's really amazing. So that photo that you showed of an Irukandji, they're these little tiny things. They're, um, it, well, there's numerous species and they range from, you know, 
smaller than a thimble, like the size of a pea, actually. To the size of a blob? Yeah, yeah, the size of a blob. You're not wrong. And, you know, <laughs> uh, but all the way up to like, you know, the size of a large takeaway mocha, you know, like they can get pretty big, but, but the common ones are really small. And of course, even when they're full grown at the size of a pea, the baby ones at the size of a, well, a baby yeah. pea, millimeter. I mean, this is like one twenty fifth of an inch, like really tiny, tiny right. little guys when they're babies. So they can, they're very blobular just saying. <laughs> so you you named this, right? Um, I didn't name the first Irukandji, and I didn't give them the name Irukandji, but I have named and classified 14 of the known 16 species of Irukandjis. And I've got two more that, ready to name. Is it just <laughs> jellyfish that you've named or any other types of fish or anything like that? I've discovered 216 new species of jellyfish and one species of dolphin. Yay! Sorry. <laughs> Only one dolphin, not 216 species of dolphin. Sorry, that was, it, it's, I, I haven't woken up yet this morning. <laughs> I'm just going to blame it on garden that's amazing. boneheadedness here. <laughs> My daughter right now, her big thing, every couple months it's, different cartoons but right now it's all about uh a dolphin tail do, do you know that dolphin oh. winter that had the prosthetic tail put on so she loves dolphins <laughs> well who doesn't i mean seriously they're very cool you know it's funny so you know well prior to naming classifying this new species of dolphin um you know years and years of jellyfish and people used to ask me hang on how do you discover all these new species like why aren't other people discovering them you know why aren't they known and i my stock standard answer was well come on i mean they're not dolphins like nobody's paying attention to jellyfish well now that i've discovered the new dolphin i kind of can't use dolphins as my timbuktu anymore so now i don't have one uh, because i mean what's better than a dolphin right but now now i don't have a taxonomic Timbuktu anymore. Uh, taxonomy being the science of naming and classifying species. But mm. no, so I, you know, I, I'm very, I, I, so I'm in, I'm in the market for a Timbuktu. If anybody knows of one, just let me know. <laughs> okay. So I love dolphins. I love dolphins. Jedi, you obviously love dolphins, but growing up, I got to tell you, I hated and I was so afraid of jellyfish. <laughs> we would go to Nantasket Beach and Smart in man, smart man. Yeah. <laughs> I, we would go to Nantasket Beach in Massachusetts and Going into the water, it was the jellyfish. You were just taught, like, don't go near them. They're going to sting you. And I remember just going in the water, being covered in seaweed and swimming away from the jellyfish. One day, my mother's like, that's it. We're putting in a pool. So we ended up getting a pool. So why should we like jellyfish? Okay. Um, before we get to why we should like jellyfish, here's a public service announcement. Um, for yeah. those of you living in the New England area, um, there is a type of jellyfish in New England, uh, commonly known as the clinging jellyfish. Jellyfish, and this causes Irukandji syndrome. You guys have a species that causes Irukandji syndrome in Cape Cod and Connecticut and Delaware and New Jersey. And yep. And actually, I just saw something in the news a couple of days ago. It's been causing some problems lately. So, I mean, and, and tis the season, you know, tis the season to be jelly, we say. But um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, so this is its season and it's definitely rambunctious and it's jumping up and down and saying, look at me, 
look at me. And um, it stings and it's really wicked. It will land your sorry butt in hospital. And oh, yeah. um, I don't know of any cases where it's killed anybody, but it's pretty wicked. It could. Yeah. So um, public service announcement, get a pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so, so Jedi, much for that, Doctor. Jedi, do you have any like jellyfish stories growing up, or is that not an issue where you live on the West Coast? Oh, we do, but I'm not sure if it is a jellyfish. Is a Portuguese man o' war considered a jellyfish? It is. It is. Yeah. It, it, it's a it's a highly derived evolutionary weirdness of jellyfish. So it's kind of, it is to other jellyfish what we are to other vertebrates. You know what I mean? Just this like highly evolved, super raised ahead with all this, you know, evolutionary uh, complexity and evolutionary sophistication. And and by sophistication, I don't mean like drinks red wine over white or vice versa. I mean, yeah. you, you know, like as an organism, you know. Um, but, Why is it called a Portuguese man of war? Yeah, I don't know. That was just the name that was given to it like a squillion years ago. So uh, the man of war is actually a ship and it doesn't look anything like the ship it looks exactly. more like it, it, it looks like a pot sticker yeah. <laughs> or like a dumpling you know like a chinese pot sticker but um i don't know why i mean i guess because the portuguese ships were out crossing the atlantic and they probably saw a lot of them and I, i'm not really sure i've never seen the naming story of why it's called that i'm gonna have to look that up and find out because <laughs> Yeah, they don't, I'm they glad don't I got to stump like you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get back to the Navy blowing up these fish. So yes. if, the, if the jellyfish did go into the clouds, travel 50 miles, rain on Oakville six different times in three weeks, wouldn't they stink? Well, what do they smell like if they're just kind of decayed and dead? How, do, how does that work? What is it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, yeah, they should decay and stink. And and I can tell you from experience, unfortunately, that decaying jellyfish are super nasty. I mean, it's like nothing you've ever smelled before. <laughs> like um, there's something about invertebrates, you know, animals without backbones, that when they decay, it not only smells really bad, it just instantly makes you vomit. Like it's so bad. So yeah, so they, they would probably smell bad, but then I don't know, because here's the thing. I've never actually thrown a bomb into a swarm of jellyfish and aerosolized them and then tracked them for weeks to see, right. you know, what happened. So, so I've never actually done that. So I can't guarantee right. what would happen, but I mean, you can kind of picture aerosolized particles of anything watery or gelatinous that could, I mean, you, you could get fine enough particles that they would stay aloft. Like that actually does make some sense to me, but where I'm kind of still, you know, my head going, Hmm, it is the blood cells, the white blood cells, because right. dun, 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 jellyfish don't have blood. Dun, 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 dun. Oh. <laughs> so, so I don't know. No, I'm a bit mystified about that. Oh, well, or they don't have white blood cells because we've never looked for white blood cells or something that looks like white blood. Well, they don't have blood. I mean, let's just 
like they just don't, right? No heart, no blood. They just don't have it. But what I've learned about jellyfish is that they're so fully strange that assuming they don't have something is, uh, or, well, or, or don't have something similar to something can get you into danger every time. Like most people say they don't have a brain. And it's true. Jellyfish don't have a brain because like they, they are... They are more primitive than the organisms where a brain evolved. So they literally don't have a brain. And yet some jellyfish, like Irukandjis, for example, box jellies, they actually do have something going on. They have really well-developed eyes with lenses and retinas and corneas like our eyes. And we know that they see because they navigate, they have courtship, they chase food. Uh, you know, we know that they see. Um, they're powerfully drawn to light and, and colors of light. They they react differently to certain colors of light. So we know that they see, but we also know that they don't have a brain in the way that we understand a brain. So, so this thing with the white blood cells... Yeah. I'm of two minds on this. Part of me says, no, no, they don't have blood, so they don't have white blood cells. But then part of me goes, okay, but what's the potential that they could have something that looks like white blood cells? I don't know. I, I've, yeah. I've never looked. Yeah. I don't know. So, so you think there's a chance at this possibly, but Sonny and Dottie said this is ridiculous. And Dottie said, the thought of it going 50 miles and dropping stinks to high heaven. That's what she said. So and I, I know we keep leaving this story to talk about jellyfish, but when you have someone that knows as much as Lisa does, we, we want to learn more about jellyfish. So Joe, don't show the graphic yet because I want to see if Lisa can guess what my favorite jellyfish is. But we're going to do something real quick. So we know that all sorts of animals cause problems like this next clip. Tell me if you recognize what this is. Hey, guys. Cactus 1529 over the George Washington Bridge wants to go to the airport right now. Wants to go to the airport. Check. Does he need assistance? Uh, yes. He, uh, it was a bird strike. Can I get him in for uh, runway one? Runway one. That's good. Cactus 1529, turn right 280. Can land runway right. one at Teterboro. We can't do it. Okay. Which runway would you like at Teterboro? We're going to be in the Hudson. So do you guys, you guys remember that, right? right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the birds hit the plane. I mean, that pilot, I think it's Sullenberger. I mean, you couldn't be any cooler. <laughs> he didn't panic or anything. But so is there any type of situations where jellyfish, I know they're not knocking down planes, but cause some type of problem? Oh, yeah. So this is what jellyfish do best. This is where they really hit their stride is terrorizing humans. I mean, it's not their like evolutionary objective, right? It's not, you know, sort of where they think they're going, but boy, I'll tell you what, they're damn good at it. So for instance, one of my very favorite examples of jellyfish terrorizing humans is very near and dear to my heart. So jellyfish, there, there's just something magnetic about power plants and jellyfish. Power plants, whether it's a nuclear power plant or a coal-fired power plant or anything like that, um, and, but it, not just even power plants, desalination plants, uh, water-cooled data centers, anything like this. For some reason, they're messing up the environment with the effluent that they're putting out, and this jellyfish just really respond to this. So wherever you've got like water being sucked in and effluents going out, jellyfish seem to be really, really numerous. And the problem is when you're sucking in water, like a power plant does, I mean, you take your typical nuclear power plant, you're sucking in 
I, well, I, I don't know, like a million gallons a day or something. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't know the amount, but it's huge, right? They got huge, huge pipes sucking in all this water. And so you got these jellyfish entrained in this, you know, this vortex of sucking water. And if you get enough jellyfish, you can cause serious damage. And they really do cause emergency shutdowns to all of these, anything, whether it's a boat or a power plant, doesn't matter. They cause emergency shutdown. My favorite one, um, many, many years ago, way before I ever discovered jellyfish, I was actually, uh, there was a Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant in California. You know, activists after activists after activists trying to get it shut down and trying to get it stopped from operating and all that. I was in the, um, I, I was in a blockade. I think, I can't remember, I think it was 1979 or something like that. And, um, you know, and I was involved in trying to get this thing shut down. And, you know, like everybody else, I was arrested. And, you know, I mean, it was this huge act of civil disobedience. And, you know, I mean, I was young and impressionable and having fun and wanting to hang out and, you know, be a hippie and whatever. So skip ahead. Um, years later, I was working with jellyfish and I, um, I, uh, reclassified or revalidated, I should say this species of jellyfish that had been lost to science for 175 years. And its name had been Aurelia labiata. And I revalidated this species formally. And then skip ahead. So that was in 2001, right? Then skip ahead in 2008, I'm sitting in Australia uh, in the Sundays, this really beautiful resort in Australia, um, in the Great Barrier Reef. And I'm sitting there in the morning having coffee and I open up the newspaper and there's this article that thousands and thousands of Aurelia labiata had gotten sucked into the intake pipes for Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant and shut it down. Imagine how proud I was of my babies. (laughs) (laughs) My babies were able to accomplish what decades of activists were not able to do. So yeah, like go babies, go jellyfish. (laughs) So I mean, obviously the people... Yeah, the people that run Diablo, like, you know, Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E, they would not have been impressed with jellyfish. And of course, you know, any people impacted by disruptions to power or whatever, or the cost of, you know, fixing it, they would not have been impressed either. But for me, yeah, I was impressed. (laughs) But they do, they do. And, you know, they... um. You know, um, uh, in uh, 2006, there was this fantastic story. Well, at least from my point of view, maybe other people don't think so. Uh, The USS Ronald Reagan, at the time, it was America's biggest, most expensive, most fearsome nuclear supercarrier, the USS Ronald Reagan. And it was on its maiden voyage. And its first port of call was the port of Brisbane in Australia. And it pulled into Brisbane and it sucked in thousands and thousands of jellyfish into the pipes for its cooling system. And boom, shut that sucker down just like that. You know, six thousand people needed to be evacuated and it was this huge nightmare because here was this ship it was built to take on any nation's military and any any active nature that you know mother nature could hurl at it it was built to stay at sea for 20 years without refueling i mean here was this incredibly fearsome warship that was taken out by blobs just saying (laughs) Yeah. And um, before we started the show, when you said how much you can talk, I think I underestimated you. 
so, so That's what I did warn you to jump just, in. Now, just by just by looks, what do you think my favorite jellyfish is? And this is something I just did research on. I never heard of this, but this is really cool. Like, what do you think I'm thinking right now? I'm thinking you're thinking the long stingy stringy thingy. Show it, Joe. <laughs> That looks like an egg. egg, The fried egg. Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. It looks like a fried egg and it's a fried egg jellyfish. It does. But but that's just because you haven't seen the long stingy stringy thingy, which is actually my favorite jellyfish of the moment. You know, it's hard when you have, you know, 216 children. uh, You you can't really have favorites, right? Okay. But hot news little secret just between me and you, right? Nobody else will ever know, right? I do have favorites. And I think parents do. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the I other day. Have, I do have a question, though, Dr. Lisa, regarding yeah. jellyfish stings. I mean, I got stung by a jellyfish before, the Portuguese man of war. And so the recommended thing to do was to take a piss on your injury. So is that true or not? Or the other thing that we all did is rub meat tenderizer on our sores. So the, and do an Indian rub. Let's say I got, um, you know, have you heard that before? Yeah, I've heard everything before. <laughs> um, I just want to like circle back around to the taking a whiz on it. And so, yes, we did see this in Friends, but here's the thing. I would not call, I mean, I I enjoy Friends, like who doesn't, right? But um, I would not categorize friends as like the leading safety advice, like the leading authoritative, reputable safety advice. So um, I'm just going to ask you a quick question. Actually, I'll ask all of you a quick question. So right now, right here as we're talking, um, is your urine acidic or alkaline? Jedi acidic? What do you reckon, Todd? (laughs) That's what I would say. Do you want to chime in or you're just sitting there going, no, man, not me. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go uh, opposite them since they're, they seem like they're Excellent. wrong. Well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to ask you to do anything I wouldn't do. Right. Okay. Here's the thing. I actually don't know whether mine is acidic or alkaline because it varies with time of day and diet and season of the year and hydration and what you ate yesterday and what you had for breakfast. You know, it varies with all these things. And I don't carry litmus paper with me to test it. But if it's in an acidic stage, um, it'll work about um, 25% as well as vinegar in neutralizing the stinging cells from being able to fire to, to inject their venom. But if it's alkaline, it will cause immediate massive discharge of all of the stinging cells and very much worsen the sting. So that's fascinating. If you're going to whiz on a sting, I think you need to ask, yeah, you need to ask yourself a really important question first. Are you feeling lucky, punk? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just have to admit I have done it and it worked. Wow. Oh, oh, there you go. All right. There you go. Good on you. Uh, If you guys are curious, I'm originally from Hawaii, so that's why it's an old wives tale that we always use. (laughs) So... 
So the other day when I was researching this, I'm writing my notes and I got a little hungry. I live about two miles from McDonald's. I went to McDonald's. I go through the drive-thru. I come home. I sit down. I have my laptop. I'm like, oh, I forgot to bring my food in. I go out to the car. I can't find it. I'm looking everywhere. What I did was I paid the girl and I drove away. I never took my food. And I'm sitting here doing, I'm like, forget it. I'll eat. I'll have a snack. And as I'm thinking how stupid I am, I'm reading this article that you detected when the Arakanjis bloom. I'm like, here I am being such an idiot, and I'm reading that you're doing like the smartest thing I've ever heard in my life. How could you ever figure out when these jellyfish are coming to shore? I don't understand. You know, it, it, it was actually um, – okay, confession time. It just hit me. It literally just hit me. Now, mind you, I'd been working in this field for, you know, 15 years. And so, I mean, I did have a little bit of sort of thinking about that. But, um, yeah, it just hit me. I, I was actually <laughs> – okay, this is a very Aspergian thing I'm about to say. So um, I was in my lab working, and I had to pee. I had to, you know, visit – I had to visit the ladies' room. And so I got up out of my chair. Walking out of my lab, walking into the hallway to go down to the bathroom in the office, you know, in the workplace. And I was just walking out of my lab and it was like I'd hit a wall. Boom. And it hit me just like that. What the secret was to predicting when and where these Irukandjis are going to show up. And I mean, and they really terrorize people like it. it I mean, they, they hospitalize large numbers of people. It, it's really quite serious. And, and it just hit me as I boom, I figured it out. So I ran back to my computer and I'm like typing and typing and typing and typing. And I was just doing like a brain dump of everything I could think of, you know, um, details, um, things to follow up on questions to ask who to talk to, what to look into, you know, just all these like details, details, details. And I was just furiously typing. And then I got to the point where it's like, okay, wow, that was amazing. I downloaded everything I needed to download. And I looked at the clock and it was about 10 o'clock at night. And it, was, it had been 1.20 in the afternoon, 1.22 in the afternoon, actually. And here it was, it was now 10 o'clock at night. It was like, fart, I really have to pee. <laughs> so I it just, I, you know, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, painstaking investigation or, you know, I mean, in a way I kind of, I'm not sure I deserve to have discovered that, you know. <laughs> Do, do they have to shut down? Do they have to shut down the beaches if they're totally booming? Yeah, yeah. Not not just the beaches, but like tourism operations. I mean, you know, like it, it's it's not safe to be in the water when they're around, wow. and it's really serious. Yeah. So they they don't just shut down the beach where they find them, but they shut down you know beaches north and south, and and it's it, they've got it down to a pretty good science these days, where you know they they know when to shut the beaches down, they know which beaches to shut, how long to keep them shut and all of that. But um, yeah, it's it's really serious. You know, and it, the thing is, these don't only occur in Australia. They also occur, hello, Jedi, in Hawaii. They occur in the Caribbean and they occur um, many, many, you know, Japan, China. I mean, they occur many, many, you know, Thailand, Philippines, all over the place, many, many wow. places wow. around the world. So um, we discovered them here first, but no, they occur lots of places, including Boston. Mm -hmm. Just saying. <laughs> so, hey, so, right. But we haven't talked about something that's really important that I really want to talk about. So um, we've got these blobs that came down, you know, from the sky, but it's not 
the first time that blobs have come down from the sky. Here in Australia, we had a case, uh, I can't remember when, but it was years ago. I read about it in the newspaper. Um, but we had what was described as jellyfish falling from the sky. And from the best I can tell from the news surrounding it, they actually were jellyfish, not just blobs, but that they were actually jellyfish. I, I mean, I don't know. I like I it happened before yeah. my time here and I haven't studied them, but in the newspapers, they were actually described as jellyfish falling from the sky. And these were big storms where, you know, big winds and, uh, you know, the water spouts and stuff oh, like that, you know, like the, the tornadoes that happen on the water. And so the thinking was, you know, that these lifted up the jellyfish and kind of threw them onto the land. So, it, so this is why I'm so intrigued with this blobs thing. My gut feeling is that the blobs oh, weren't jellyfish. But... I was going to say, let's wait till the end and we can talk oh, about what sorry. we think. Oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Sorry. So we get the we get the blobs falling six times in three weeks. No one died. We think Sunny had a kitten that died. There's rumors a couple more animals died, but uh, that's about and it. People so people were sick, but people were sick, right. which is people were, always people were sick quite for a couple serious. months. Yeah, and when people are sick, people are going to look at it and say something happened here. What happened? But do you so. believe that the jellyfish could survive in the clouds? for that long? Oh, Jedi. Yeah. Jellyfish can survive. <laughs> Seriously, they are like master survivors, right? I mean, like they can survive just about anything. They don't do so well if they're totally dried out. They don't seem to like that very much. But as long as they have sort of substance, I mean, you know, but they don't need to be a whole jellyfish to persist. And the idea of a whole jellyfish is a little bit weird anyway, because you know, like people always tell me stories. I love this. People say, oh, look, no, I'm doing my best to kill off the jellyfish because they're a real problem. So, you know, I, I back my boat up into them and ribbon them up or, you know, I'm out scuba diving and I chop them into pieces. And I think, ah, far out, you know, because if you chop a jellyfish, like, you know, you got a jellyfish that shaped like a pie, right? And you chop it into like, I don't know, six random pieces or something, you're probably going to get at least five, if not six of those pieces, regrowing a whole new jellyfish really quickly. Wow. So it, it's like you're actually Decimate. multiplying the number of jellyfish. You're not decimating the population. They survive and they don't even need to eat. They just degrow and degrow and degrow and degrow. And they can get really small. And then when they, uh, you know, when they finally eat again, they just start regrowing. And serious what I'm about to tell you, and you might need to do a whole another podcast episode on this. The first truly biologically immortal creature that's known, truly biologically immortal is a jellyfish. And what it does, it dies and, you know, just like anything, sinks to the bottom, dead, right? But then instead of disintegrating into mush, the cells do dissociate and it, it becomes kind of mushy, but then the cells re-aggregate in an alternate life form, not the jellyfish, but the hydroid. And then the hydroids butt off baby jellyfish and so goes the cycle again. And so, yeah, like it, it, it's really weird. So when people say, oh, but could jellyfish survive out of the water? It's like, you know what? Jellyfish can survive whatever they do. And because they've got the mucus, it actually protects them for a certain amount of time from just evaporating. So they could, 
they could. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of funny, Jedi, we're going through all our shows. We want to do a show on this, that. Jedi said, we should do a show on superheroes. Like, who would win Batman versus Superman? <laughs> I think the jellyfish should be in this. It doesn't exactly. sound like the jellyfish could lose to anyone. I think you're right. I think, you know, <laughs> Superman and Batman would look at jellyfish and go, oh, man, that is so cool. You know, yeah. like, because jellyfish have the invisible thing. They've got the stingy thing. They've got the living forever immortal thing. I mean, come on, jellyfish are cool. I know. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We're about to get into other conspiracies with this, but the jellyfish one is the funnest one to talk about. <laughs> um, and it's just it's just interesting. And the whole town fell in love with the story. They wanted to have a jellyfish festival every year. Uh, one of the one of the bars in town had a jellyfish drink. It had like gelatin, vodka, and juice. So I I think they had a lot of fun with it, but I still like wouldn't really I don't know how you can just take that for an answer and just be fine with it. It would drive me absolutely crazy. Like what, what happened? I need to know. So I think the biggest crime with this story, I mean, 99% of people have never heard of the story is that it was pre social media. I think yeah, that's kind of a bummer of bad timing. <laughs> Cause I mean, it would right trend. Now, it, it, like if it was now, it would totally trend. It would dominate Twitter for ages. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're bringing like, it back. We're bringing it back. <laughs> Oakville blobs trending. Um, <laughs> the one thing I don't like about the story is even though before social media, like people should have had cameras and I, I haven't seen any pictures of this. I talked to Sunny. She was like, Oh, my camera wasn't working. I don't know that we'll get into that conspiracy too, of a possible town hoax. <laughs> a bit yeah so. can i just say on the like you know photos and things so down here in tasmania where i live we used to have a species called the tasmanian tiger or the thylacine and it was driven extinct by government decree basically and people still think they see thylacines and you know there's still numerous reports every week every week when i used to work at the museum you know like maybe three times a week on average we would get reports of somebody calling or sending an email or something that, you know, oh, I've seen a Tasmanian tiger. Anyway, the amazing thing is this day and age, everybody's got a camera, right? Everybody's got a phone still forever. There's no photos. And people say, oh, well, I didn't want to photograph it. I just wanted to enjoy it. Or yeah, I took photos, but now I can't find them. Or well, I didn't make a report earlier because I didn't want anybody to disturb it. So everybody has a reason why there's no documentation. But here's the thing as a scientist, there's no documentation that raises some bells for me yeah. but some residents think it could have been waste from an airplane you know instead of the jellyfish but you know according to the faa the waste from the airplane is dyed blue so i'm not sure if that's a possibility they just forgot to dye it blue and they just dropped it on this town others think it could have been a biological experiment (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. (laughs) i know i i think that the blue dye was to help break down like the poop and it's against faa regulations you're not allowed to do it and i don't know really why would you dump it you could just kind of dump it when you get to the ground so when you talk about the biological weapon you would think that the government or something wouldn't endanger their own people, right? Oh, that would Are never you happen. asking yeah. that now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. 
I got a clip here. I got a clip here that's probably like the biggest example of the government screwing over their own people. It's it's a little lengthy. It's about six minutes, but I think it's worth it. This was when we were testing the atom bomb. They had all these uh, uh, military people. They put them. You'll you'll hear it in the clip, but they didn't tell them what was happening. They just said basically like block your eyes with doing something. Check out this clip and we can talk about it after. It's really eye opening. Devastation. Didn't know anything about it when we went. We didn't know what we were going to do when we went. Only to be told that we would be testing bombs. We were told nothing. We knew nothing. We were told very little about the day, except don't look at the flash. Can you describe the day that the nuclear bomb was dropped? And just before the sun comes up, we were marshaled in groups. We all went out on the aircraft carrier, the Warrior, and we was told to face the stern of the ship, the back of the ship. We were told to cover our eyes with our hands or bury your eyes into the crook of your arm, which we did. it was frightening is an understatement. I think it shocked us all into silence. When the flash hit you, you could see the x-rays of your hands through your closed eyes. It was just sheer brilliant light. So I've never seen anything like it, never had done. In the process of hands over your eyes, you saw every bone in your hand. If I was looking at you now, I would see all your bones. You would see all the blood vessels and everything, and the bones a lot. Then the heat hit you, and that was just as if somebody my size had actually caught fire, then walked through me. It was an experience that was absolutely unearthing. It was so strange. Some of the lads would stand up, but about 30-odd seconds later, you'd get the blast, and the blast would knock you flying. And there were guys with bruises and broken limbs. We couldn't believe it. After a while, we were told that we could now stand and look up and watch the mushroom form. You you caught sight of the side of it at 90 degrees. It was that huge. It wasn't there, it wasn't there, it was there. It was practically above you. All they saw was this rising fireball, a colossal fireball just going up and thunder, lightning, you name it. What I noticed most was the clouds moving away like that, you know, round and round and round. I think it was too much for some of them, and some of them would cry and ask for their mum. That was awful. There was no comprehension that anything like that could even exist. It it, it was immense. It's a sight to see, but never want to see it again.
Over a 10-year test period, there were 22,500 personnel. In 2013, we estimated that 18,500 of us had died. And the reports that I'd seen, nobody had died practically of natural causes. They all died of uh, leukemias and cancers and carcinomas of one sort or the other. Does this correspond to what radiation does to a human body? The thing is, uh, guys couldn't have children. People's children suffer from numerous ailments and things that came come out, twisted bones. And... How did it affect you and your children? I married when I got back to the UK, and uh, my first daughter was born in 1960. And uh, sadly, by the time she was 11, she developed a problem which completely changed her appearance. She grew a hump on her back. She was started to grow hair all over her body. We had to shave her twice a day. She sadly passed away in my arms. My youngest daughter, I think, is the worst. She, she's had everything wrong everything and it's still going wrong. She lost all her teeth, same as I did. I lost all my teeth. Within a short space of time, they all went black. I had cancer on my face that came up here. You can't see the scar. It's only a little pimple, but it was cancer. And it was also on my back. And the other thing which devastated me, took me a long time to recover from this. And I will never forgive the authorities for putting me in this situation. I couldn't have children. How do younger people respond to what you experienced? First of all, we were not allowed to talk about it. And it was a, a, a good number of years before we were even allowed to talk about our experience. We were never allowed to talk about our duties out there. Did you, after this happened, speak about it with your mates? No. Family, no? No. So I don't want anybody to know what we've done and how we've done it. The veterans say they were sworn to secrecy and couldn't talk about it until the late 90s. Not even with their families. If they did, it would amount to treason and they'd face a prison sentence. We had no compassion from anybody. We had no help from anybody. And we still have very little. And for a government to do that to its own people is absolutely disgraceful. It's outrageous. How, how awful is that? That was horrible. I feel for these vets. Oh, I do too. Yeah. I, I imagine going through something like that that is beyond belief and not being able to talk about it for fear of treason. Treason. Exactly. And you might be like, okay, well, that was like a million years ago, but they said even now they've gotten nothing, no compassion, no anything. I mean, so the Oakville Blobs is very small compared to something like that. I mean, obviously they would test a biological weapon <laughs> if they're going to do something like that to their own people.
Well, so the thing is, though, you, you think about like biological weapon or accident or whatever. So you've got these things that don't quite add up, right? It's gelatinous, which makes it sort of a little bit weird anyway, but then it's got the white blood cells. Um, there was, you know, testing going on, um, could have been an airplane. Um, it, you know what I mean? There's like all these, and I mean, the airplane thing, although it really grosses me out at that idea, um, the thing about, oh, well, you know, we always put blue, you know, whatever. Yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. But sometimes human error happens. You know, All right, actually, we're gonna we're gonna get into all the possibilities right now for the conspiracies, and we'll I'll mention something about that that might make you think that it couldn't have been the waste. All right, so actually, let's start off with the waste. So they said that possibly the waste could have been dumped, but the problem is it happened six times over three weeks. What are the odds that an airplane? Oh, they'd have to be going right over Oakville six times in three weeks. Poop falls on you. What do you yeah, guys think true. of that? That's, and, and, and all six times they forgot to put the blue dye in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so that, that isn't sounding quite like it's adding up a whole lot, is it? No. And we got the jellyfish thing. Like, do you guys have anything to add to the whole blown up jellyfish theory thrown into the clouds? I'm just not sure about that one myself. I mean, six times. I, I mean, you know what I mean? If jellyfishes were up there, what, you know, the clouds held them for a certain amount of time and released them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I yeah, you could, you could picture it maybe happening once. once. Like, I mean, if because it, it's weird, like it wouldn't happen a lot, right? It would be right. pretty rare and strange. But then for it to happen six times is sort of, I mean, well, for me as a jellyfish scientist and knowing that jellyfish are generally in the ocean, not in the clouds, that doesn't, I mean, I, I could sort of stretch my imagination for it to happen once and go, well, okay, yeah, I, I could see how that might as a total fluke happened, but flukes don't usually happen six times. That's not a fluke then. Exactly. And there wasn't and like there wasn't any six tornadoes or there weren't any, you know, six yeah, yeah, exactly. Six leather. tornadoes. Yeah. Right. So I, I really don't think it's the jellyfish. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I kind of don't either, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's go on to the biological experiment. The, the one thing I can say about the biological experiment is that if you want to test something, I think it's a really smart idea to make it sticky and stuff like that so it sticks to the enemy if there's someone's intruding instead of just rain. I, I think yeah, it's pretty and cool. actually, um, from memory, napalm is sticky, right? Right. I think I read somewhere that napalm is sticky. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, I I don't that, know. That would make I'm sense not, then. Like, I'm not a war expert of any sort, but uh, I mean, but it does make sense. You're right. Like, you would want it, like, if it burns or causes some kind of toxic thing, you would want it to sort of, well, and, and, and it not only sticks on the person, but it also gives you more control over where it lands. And if, and if you want it off you, it's not like you can just like push it off. You're like, oh my God, get this off me. You need to get a hose or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Neil Palm does have a jelly-like consistency. So maybe it was biological warfare experiment that the military was doing. 
So that, that would actually be a chemical, well, I, I guess biological because it's got the white blood cells, but like napalm is chemical, not biological. I, well, I think, I, I don't know much at all about napalm, but but I think that's actually a, a chemically thing. But but why would you put, why would you put white blood cells in goo? Oh, <laughs> oh, unless they were just wanting to see if they could have control over the goo, right? I don't know. You, I mean, for your first run test, you would just want to see how much control you have over the goo. You wouldn't want to necessarily start an epidemic. You would just want to mm-hmm. see what would happen. And you would need some kind of a signature in it. But you'd think you'd go with a chemical signature, not a white blood cell signature. Right. I don't know. I do trust Sunny. She came off really well on Unsolved Mysteries. And just from like texting her, she's passionate about it and she said i'm i'm reading one of our texts she said she's 99.5 percent convinced it was a continuity exercise done at the direction of a specific colonel who was stationed at the pentagon his expertise was developing such programs i met him in phoenix in june of 1993 he showed up in washington of october in october of 1993 he became our friend so i don't know for some reason she thinks that he had to do with the experiment and it is kind of interesting that it happened in like this tiny town and it didn't happen over seattle or los angeles it just seems <laughs> too convenient yeah like i'm trying to imagine so if i were some you know high-ranking military person you know responsible for some kind of testing of something um you would want to test it i mean i would think you would test it in a remote place where there's no people but you'd want to test it someplace that you have control um i don't mean over the people but i mean over the substance that you're testing i don't know it's interesting isn't it it is and and another one would be this is kind of a i mean this is a conspiracy show so jedi and i believe in kind of crazy things but it could be aliens (laughs) i mean aliens is is a possibility right jedi well yeah i mean there is a thing called star jelly have you heard of that that it some people think it it came from the sky from some extraterrestrial stars or something up there and it, it just drops to earth every now and then wow yeah, like, this i have not heard of yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's like a small cryptid that comes out when meteor when they have meteor showers and they fall down to earth and some people see it hanging from their branches and leaves it's just like jelly some people doesn't don't think it exists it's like in folklore right, that's kind of a, right. yeah that's, that's kind of a weird one so let's go to um this is one i i want to believe but Sonny and a couple other people in town keep telling me this isn't the case what about mass hysteria like you have the police officer Gosh, that driving. would never happen <laughs> yeah driving with his friend and maybe the rain is like a little maybe some there's some hail and hail and the rain combined and he gets sick and then Dottie thinks she gets sick and then all of a sudden the whole town is like oh we have all these blobs and people are getting sick and animals are dying and then they're making these uh jellyfish drinks and they're having jellyfish festivals and maybe the whole town wanted to believe it it's kind of Salem Massachusetts in the modern era or something where, look, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the power of suggestion is really powerful. And, and we humans tend to connect dots of things that aren't necessarily 
there. Like you hear people say, um, you know, deaths happen in threes, right? Well, no, that three, that sequence of three, it might be shorter, it might be long, but what happens is there's one death and then at some point there's another death and you go, oh my God, there's going to be another one. And then there's another one and maybe it's a week later or maybe it's a month later. But you go, oh, there, there you go. That's that's three. It happens in threes. But we create that sequence by expecting the third one. And then when something happens, it, it, that's the third one. So we do tend to, we look for patterns. And when something happens to someone else, it's like, oh, you were sick too. So was I. It must be fill in the blank. You know, we... We humans want those patterns. Right. And Salem, Salem, Massachusetts is the perfect example of the mass hysteria. Absolutely. (laughs) And to go back to the biological weapons, the biological experiment is the other thing is the sample that Sunny had stored in her freezer that she gave to the lab that ended up going missing. And how convenient. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the biologist said, uh, one of the guys said, I have never lost anything in 30 years and that's like the one thing and it's just hard to get high stuff like that all right so we got we got the waste we got the jellyfish the biological experiment aliens mass hysteria and the last one is a town hope maybe they all got together or a few of them got together and said said, hey guys tourism is flagging off here we need to (laughs) we need to do something to boost tourism you know no one no one told them to wait 15 years for twitter to uh to be here but i mean the only reason like i kind of want to go to this topic is oh there's just a couple things like i talked to a few people in oakville and a couple people like blocked me and if someone (laughs) wanted to if someone wanted to talk to me about this i would like be so excited to maybe get an answer and Someone said, oh, join the Oakville something page. So I joined the Oakville page. I posted, does anyone want to come into this podcast? Not only did no one respond, they ended up (laughs) deleting me from the group. Oh, my goodness. And then I have this girl I'm talking to, a couple girls that want to come on. But I understand everyone's busy and it's hard to get someone on. And I don't know. I just think that I'd want to talk Todd, if people want to. Todd, Todd, come <laughs> on. You're being too easy on them. You know, like, okay, so if it was a town hoax and they're sitting around thinking, you know what, we really need to bump up tourism. Let's, you know, let's bump this up. But then wouldn't they want to get the word out? Like, wouldn't they want to sort of talk about the mystery and although i mean 15 years on like maybe they're kind of now the towns people have said oh, enough of that enough of that let that go let's not talk about that anymore i mean i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know it's such right, a so, strange story i know so one of the residents i was texting her i said i really want you to come on the main reason is because i'm kind of leaning towards hoax and if you're on the show and you can really convince us she said i'll try to be on the show i promise it's not a hoax but it didn't rain like the depiction on Unsolved Mysteries. And you know, every show is exaggerations. And she said, I was, yeah. talking, to my pa- I was talking to my parents last night. And they also said that they talked about the waste and the flying planes dumping the waste. A lot of people think it's that. Oh, and actually she did. I forgot about this. She said she's convinced this is why the cancer numbers are so t- uh, so high in a town like hers. I guess the cancer numbers have been really up in Oakville and... That would go along with, I would think, the biological experiment. 
Yeah, that's a bit distressing, actually. I mean, whether the cancer numbers are up because of this or because of something else, it's worrisome that the cancer numbers are up. While you were just saying that, something popped into my mind. And I thought there's another uh, possibility here that we haven't talked about. And that's the exploding whale from Florence. You know about this? No. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Florence, Oregon, some years ago, I can't remember what year, like maybe the 80s or something, um, they had this whale carcass that washed ashore. And so the townspeople- I know this. I know the story. I've seen this. This one, the exploding whale. Yeah. So they had to get rid of it and they made some mistakes in how to do that. So this is not- a mystery. This is not a conspiracy. Like this really happened. This was just a phenomenal act of stupidity, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> it was an absolute miscalculation of how biology and physics work. <laughs> so, so you know, I mean, I don't know this idea about like a bomb going off and putting things in the air, and you know. I mean, it happened in Florence, Oregon, I'm just saying. So so there's this part of me kind of going, well, if they could do it with the exploding whale, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so there's, there's four of us right here in this box. Uh, we'll, go, we'll go top left, uh, Joe, Jedi, Lisa, and myself. What are we thinking? Yeah, I'm going to say that it was uh, a town hoax that just spiraled out of control. So you think a town hoax meaning like they all got together before. It wasn't more like the the mass hysteria. Yeah, I think a couple of people told the story and a couple of people believed it. And then everybody started talking about it. And that's why there's different versions of what really happened. What do you think, Jedi? I agree with Joe because, you know, like when you get into a group and say, my back hurts, the other person will say, my back hurts. And I also have diabetes. And then the next person will keep tacking on. I mean, it's like a battle of ailments sometimes. It's true. And and then people go, well, hang on. Three of the people here have a backache and diabetes. So backaches must cause diabetes or diabetes must cause backaches. And then by the time it gets to the fifth person, they're saying, you know what? I'm so afraid if I get my back hurting that I'm going to get diabetes. And it's like it takes on a life of its own. It's like that Chinese whispers thing, right? Yeah, the telephone game. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I I, kind of... I I think I kind of agree with you guys, but I'm heading more towards, I mean, not so much the hoax, but more the mass hysteria. Like, I don't think they necessarily sat down and said, all right, look, tourism's flagging. Let's figure out a way to put ourselves on the map and get into the news so people know we're here. I don't think it's that. But I think, yeah, maybe like somebody said something like, oh, did you hear that like, there was, the rain was really loud last night? Yeah, I know. Me too. You know, oh, and then there's like, I don't know, you know, something on the you know, one little surface of something. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the the fact that the police officer was in on it kind of gives some credibility to me that there was something, but was it jellyfish? I don't think so. Was it stuff out of the airplane six times? Mm, I don't know. Not sounding like it. Was it six tornadoes? I don't know. Not convinced. Six bombs? I don't know. So kind of having a hard time getting my mind around all that. 
but that doesn't mean that they didn't believe it. it so right. a is where they don't believe it, they're just saying it. Whereas the mass hysteria is more like they actually believe it. And I, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to them and say, I think they believe it. I'm just not really sure what it was. Right. So I just pulled up my phone. (laughs) I just pulled up my phone to make sure that I was, they did kick me out of the Oakville talk group. (laughs) It says, it says join group. So that means I'm out. I made this big post about the, I made this big post about the Oakville blobs. Who wants to be on the show? I'm looking at it right now. And it says the Oakville talk group, 7,700 members located in Oakville, Ontario. So I made this post in an Oakville. Oh, wrong one. I've been pissed off at these innocent people of Oakville, Washington for a couple of weeks now. So I, I guess I have no choice than to go for the biological experiment. Oh, Todd, Todd, Todd. Oh, dear. Todd, Todd, Todd. Oh, that's yeah. so, so sad. Right now, I just did the dumbest thing, and I guess I'm going to go to McDonald's right now. Order some food. <laughs> I'm going to pay and just drive home. <laughs> I told one well, of my friends. I, I think we should collectively apologize to the people of yeah. Oakville, Ontario, because we've yeah. been, uh, we've been believing that they were sort of being rude and clearly they're not, you know, and I, I know. Yeah. Well, I, and, I, for one, apologize for sure to the people of Oakville, I Ontario. Mean, not only were they like not, not mean people they were too nice to even point out that i was in the wrong group they're like who is this guy (laughs) so i I did tell a friend about the mcdonald's incident the other day he goes what did they say when you went back i said i didn't go back and face those people (laughs) (laughs) that's the crazy guy who paid and just drove away so Hang on, um, wait a second. But but you're like this like fearless guy, right? You know, you you've got this podcast and you're taking on, you know, the people of any place named Oakville. <laughs> you're like this totally fearless guy. Yeah. And yet you can't even face, you know, like a 16-year-old at yeah. McDonald's to say, right. dude, can I have my burger? You know? Yeah. All right. So before we wrap this up, is there anything cool about where you live that you want to like tell us like an interesting fact or something? Oh, um, gosh, like what? It, it is the coolest place. Really? It, I mean, it's, yeah, it's really beautiful here. But there is one thing that I actually think is really unfortunate. And I don't know. I mean, you could just chop this bit out if it's irrelevant. But um, it's like the most beautiful place in the world. And yet the the weird politics and the weird business, it's just devastating the place. Like it used to be forestry. And I mean, when we still have a forestry problem where, you know, they just cut down all this old growth forest and it's like, yeah, shut up, shut up, you know? Um, and then in recent years, the focus has shifted away from forestry and it shifted to salmon farming and they're absolutely devastating the coastal ecosystems. And the thing is, this is actually really, when I say non-sustainable or unsustainable, I don't just mean in the environmental sense. I mean, in the business sense, like who, who pulls up the floorboards to put into the fire so that you can have a raging fire, but then you have no floor. Like, 
or, you know, you don't start chopping down the house to put into the fire because then you have no house. So, you know, if you want to stay in business, then you don't screw up the ecosystem that you rely on to farm food for human consumption. Like, hello, that's not very smart. And so I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, this is not only very smart, but we're actually enhancing the jellyfish populations, which I should like, but it makes me sad, makes me very sad. So, so yeah. you guys, I'm glad you have weird politics over there because we don't know what weird politics is like in the United no, States right now. No, it, it, America is really <laughs> immune to weird politics. Yeah. yeah. And, and sorry, and just to bring it back around to my dolphin that I had mentioned that I, you know, discovered a few years ago. Um I, I was saying about the salmon farming and you know, they they set off all these underwater bombs to scare off seals, but it's messing with the the dolphins. You know, they use echolocation or sort of sound frequencies to to hunt and for social cohesion and it's how they communicate. And yet, you know, when you set off 40,000 underwater explosives a year, it, it, you know, it's messing with the dolphins like, hello. Um, so, yeah, so the whole thing makes me really sad. So I'm actually running for parliament. I, I ran for parliament in the last election and I'm going to run in for in parliament for the next election in hopes of. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get in in the last election, by the way just saying, but, but I'm running again. And because I just feel like somebody needs to stand up for Mm. what's right. And, you know, I'm a scientist. I understand the science behind these things and I understand the implications of these things. And I just feel like, I don't know, you know, what greater service to the world than to be at the table, making decisions about things that affect the state and the country and, and the organisms who have no voice. So Good luck. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's really cool. And one quick thing before we go, uh, I'm huge into golf, and I know there's a golfer from Tasmania, Matthew Goggin. Is he a known person, or would you have no idea? I have no idea. So please forgive me, but I'm not a golf person. But this is totally random. A few years back. I was on a flight going from Melbourne to Cairns, and there was a guy sitting next to me and, you know, you chat with the person next to you on the plane, right? Oh, you know, so, you know, hi, how are you? You know, whatever. And he recognized me from my jellyfish stuff. I do a lot of news and stuff like that. Not surprisingly. Right. And, um, anyway, he recognized me. He's like, Oh yeah. You know, jellyfish, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so what do you do? And he said, I'm a professional golfer. And I said, Oh wow, seriously. Um, would I, recognize your name and please forgive me i can't remember his name but he he was wearing uh, a, a tie and it was it turned out it was his pga tie he was some kind of champion golfer and so he's telling me these stories we had a really amazing flight because he was telling me all these stories about playing here and winning that and playing against that person and yeah, it was amazing so he was Fair dinkum. He was a champion golfer, you know, and here I am, I'm next to him on the plane. And so anyway, I, I actually, I said, can I borrow that tie for a second? He's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, anyway, so he handed me the tie. And so I took a picture, uh, like a selfie of myself with the tie. Why not? You know, but <laughs> that's the closest I've ever gotten to golfing. 
<laughs> oh, I played miniature golf once. That's kind of golf, right? So, uh, Je- Je- Jedi, anything you want to add to this story? No, I pretty much am set and made up my mind. <laughs> okay. So, Dr. Lisa, this was so much fun. We learned about jellyfish. We learned how you can talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I did warn you. I did. No, I told you you'd awesome. have to jump in. <laughs> Definitely keep in touch. I know you get, you said you get, what, 100 to 200 emails per day. I do. I do. But it's fun. I, I enjoy it. You know, it's uh, it's all good. And, you know, look, next time you have a jellyfish story, like, I don't know, immortal jellyfish or, yeah. you know, exploding whales, which had nothing to do with jellyfish, but entertains me to no end. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, whatever. Don't hesitate to give me a hoy. And I do respond well to being told, OK, on to our next subject. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. I'll send you this link when the show's up. Check us yeah, out on Clovercrest. Yeah. All right. Oh, thanks, Morks. And check us out on Clovercrest Media. And we are on most social media platforms under Two Conspiracies and Beyond. Do you want to sign us out, Jedi? Well, Morks, the end is here. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Lisa Ann Gershwin. Hope you enjoyed our very first podcast, Two Conspiracies and Beyond. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check us out again. 